0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries, this is the Gary Talks About God Podcast. This morning, Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, put out a little, I don't know what it was, I don't know if it was a uh, Bible trivia challenge Wednesday night, or just to see who was listening and who would study. If you joined us Wednesday night or you watched later online, you may have recalled that I told you it would be in Luke chapter 9 tonight, but there's a parallel account in Matthew chapter 16, but we were going to use the Luke chapter 9 account because there was one slight difference. So for a gold star this morning, who found the difference? Somebody found the difference. Please, somebody? Somebody? No, but that's not the passage we're in. Okay, okay. good try. You get a bronze. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know when we get there. All right, but Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. We, this, this section is what is called the Galilean ministry of Christ because you want to guess where he was ministering? That's in the Galilee, yeah, it's, it's that hard. I, the, and the reason I mentioned that it's because in the flow of the gospel of Luke, chapter 9, the very end in verse 51, there's a transition. And it's important, I think, to read verse 51 because it is a transitional statement, but it helps frame kind of the flow and the context of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. In Luke nine fifty-one, it says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so at the end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, chapter 10 kind of focuses on Jerusalem and going to Jerusalem because here's a gold star. Everybody knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified. And so Luke tells us that from this day on, that is what his focus is. is. He is going to the cross. He is going to die. And so the last part of Luke, before he makes that statement in verse 51, is helping the disciples understand what is going to happen. At this part of Luke, large crowds are, are following him. Large crowds have been gathered to, to hear his his teaching, right? He, he feeds the 5,000, they've enjoyed that, they've enjoyed the miracles. they've enjoyed hearing the preaching. so all these crowds are, are gathered around him. He looks at his disciples and say, "Hey, hey, hey who, who, who do you say that I am? Who do the people say that I am?" And that's where and Matthew records a, the, the, the longer version of it, but you see it here in uh, Luke as well. Uh, where, where Peter looks him says, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this, but this comes from the Father. So he, he, the crowds are following him. Uh, Peter says, You are Christ, uh, Jesus says, "Yes, that is true," and, and then he says in verse twenty-two, "The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised." And we just saw in verse fifty-one, right? He's heading to Jerusalem. His his face. Is headed, he's got his face turned that way. That is what is on his mind. That is his destination. That is where he is going. But before he gets there, he he makes that statement. Now, imagine, if you will, for just a moment, you're in the crowd, you're one of the disciples, you're following him, or maybe you're not a disciple yet, but you're listening in the background, and he says, Hey, I've got to go, I've got to be rejected, I, I have to be killed, and all of a sudden you go, Wait a minute, you're the Messiah. Peter just just said you were, you just confirmed that, um, I'm a little confused. You you have to die. Can you imagine imagine the chaos and and the the murmuring in the crowd? Did did he just really say that? He says, look, I'm I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm, I'm going to die. And then he says this in verse 23 through 27. And he said to all, so everybody, not just disciples, but everybody, the crowds that are gathering around him, he says to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So he says, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. My face is set there. I'm going to die on the cross for my sins. And by the way... If you want to follow me, you got to follow the same path as well. And so this morning, I want to look at those three commands right there in verse 23 that Jesus says is a mark of a disciple. And the first one is this. Disciples are called to self-denial. Disciples are called to self-denial. And let me just remind you here. You can print all this out before Sunday, and you have room to take notes. And the outline is there for you also. Disciples are called to self denial. Jesus said, If you're going to follow me, let him deny himself. Isn't that an interesting place to start? Right? If we were to jump to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Why didn't Jesus here say, hey, if you want to, be, to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, then confess with your mouth that I am Lord and you will be saved. He, he doesn't start there. He says, you've got to deny yourself. I think the reasoning is, is fairly simple. For you to confess that Jesus is Lord, to confess that He is King and that He has authority over you, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny the fact that you're not Lord. Right? You're not God. And so you have to say and submit yourself to the authority of who Jesus is. So before you can confess Him that He is Lord, you've, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to repudiate. You've got to disown, forfeit yourself. Deny your own terms and come to Jesus as Jesus is and as He is presented to us through God's Word. Deny the temptation to take Jesus and just kind of mold Him into what we want Him to be. Deny yourself to to come to Christ and say, yes, Jesus, I want you, and at the same time, I want to keep my sin over here that I really, really like to play footsies with. You know, Jesus, I'm going to take you, but I really like this gluttony thing. I really like this gossiping thing. I really like this uh, being immoral. So I'm I'm going to take you, Jesus, but I'm not going to deny myself all these passions that I want as well. Because if we come to Christ with that attitude, we can't follow Him. Ephesians 4, verse 20 says, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. It says, To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You can't keep your old self and everything that you enjoyed and the pleasure and the immorality and the sins that you liked. and come to Christ as well. You've not de- denied yourself he said, you've got to deny yourself, and when you do that, you're being elevated to a new pattern where Jesus is above you, and he now has authority over your life, and he can tell you what to do, and he can guide your life, and your response is not, well, God, I really like this over here in my old self. Your response is, yes, Lord, I will do what you have called me to do. One of the ways you can look at this is, is, is like John the Baptist. When Jesus was coming on the scene, John the Baptist said that, that Christ must increase, but he must decrease. The, the, the will of, of John's must decrease, and, and Christ must be elevated so that people are following him, denying themselves to follow Jesus. And so we want Jesus to increase in our life, and as he increases in our life, those desires that, that we want, that we like, that we want are, are minimized and reduced so that we are denying ourselves to follow him but that's a, that's that's hard ha, have you ever noticed how many self words there are in our language i, I mean self fulfillment self promotion self actualization self help self absorb self well self respect self, self 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 i mean it's 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 all about us. Right? You're the bright spot in the universe in which everyone revolves around. Right? You you remember that. The world don't revolve around you. Well, really? Because I got all these self-words that say, Yeah, it does. It revolves around me. And if we take that attitude when we look at Christ and the claims that Christ is, what we're saying to Jesus is, Hey, you know what? I know the gospel is about you, but I really want to make it about me, and I will take you and I will shove you down this little genie bottle so that when I rub the bottle, I can have what you offer. But when I don't want what you offer, I am will shove you back in the bottle, and I'm going to go about and live my life. That's not confessing that Jesus is Lord. Right? All those self-words and all those self-centered gospels elevate man over self. And it denies the authority of what Christ says here, when He says, "Deny yourself." So we deny ourselves in coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and at the same, after we do that, then we've got to deny ourselves as we live out the Christian life. The two uh, two different meanings, but encompasses how we come into salvation and then how we pursue in salvation towards our sanctification. And so we deny ourselves when somebody speaks evil about you and you don't get mad. Right, we talked about this in Sunday school. Y'all really need to be in Sunday school. Because one of the questions in Sunday school, what was the question, Debbie? When, when, the, when were you happy when somebody doesn't hold a grudge? Was that, was that the question? Was that kind of how it was framed? Right? And, and this was Gary, this was the pastor's answer. When you did something stupid and you know it and the other person decided not to get mad... Right, But you give up. Self-denial means you give up, hey, I want to hold a grudge. S- self-denial is when people make fun of you for your faith. You, you rejoice. Self-denial is you rejoice when your brothers and sisters prosper around you with no sense of envy or greed. S- self-denial is where you are content, where God has placed you and what you have and how God uses your gifts. That is self-denial. That is how we become more like Christ. We deny ourselves so that we decrease and he increases. And, and pastors aren't immune to this, right? Uh, hey, do you all remember when we went through the Genesis study? Do you remember the Tower of Babel study? You remember how I started that, that sermon? Remember I told you that uh, Lily got some blocks for Christmas? and they were neon, and so I put my, my name in neon blocks, right? So I, always, I said I always want to see my name in neon lights. That's still on my desk, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's still right above my desk. So, so here, I, I wrote this as an example. You know what self-denial looks for a pastor? Self-denial looks for a pastor, and I'm going to quote somebody that is, that is, is well-known or should be known in Winston-Salem, uh, although he's been dead for a while, uh, Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. Does that name sound familiar to anybody? Does anybody know that name? Anybody ever heard of I know that you do. You don't count. Um, anybody heard of the, the Zinzendorf Hotel? It was down on 4th and Glade Street, burnt down on uh, Thanksgiving, I believe. There's a historical marker. Count Zinzendorf was basically the head of the Moravian Church. That's why we have Moravians. and Winston-Salem, we have Moravians in and, and, and Pennsylvania. But in Germany, he opened up his estate to fleeing people who were fleeing from Arabia for, for persecution. And this was his quote. And, and, and this, this, is, this is hard for a pastor to say, but this is what he said. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That. <laughs> That's, that's, that's hard in today's world of, of celebrity pastors. But you want to, all right, Gary, what does self-denial look for a pastor? For a pastor that will preach the gospel, that will die and be forgotten. That's hard. <laughs> but as a disciple, that's the life that we're called to live. To deny ourselves so that Christ can be elevated. So that the gospel can be cr- proclaimed And so that his kingdom grows, not ours. So we're called to deny ourselves. Secondly, disciples are called to take up our cross. He says, you got to deny yourself. And then he says, you have to take up your cross. What's the word there in Luke? Take up your cross. And follow him, but let him take up his cross when? How often? Daily. Daily. That's the difference. That's the difference between the Matthew account and the Luke account. Brad gets the gold star, I heard him. Right? We're told to take up our cross. Now, our, our, he's saying our self denial needs to be so radical that we're willing to die to self. Now, we need to stop right here and understand this. When the disciples heard Jesus say, Take up your cross, the only way they heard this was death. They didn't hear it any other way. Okay? They're, they're not sitting there going, Wow. That's a really interesting metaphor. I wonder what he means by that. Or, huh, a cross. That'll be a cool piece of jewelry later on. Right? When he said, take up your cross, they heard, you're going to die. They are surrounded by crucifixion. Right? The Romans loved crucifixion. They 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 They, they were brutal. And anyone who stood against Rome or Rome's laws, they would crucify. And to be crucified is to die an agonizing, grotesque death. It absolutely is. And if crucifixion was not bad enough, if it wasn't bad enough that, that you were going to die, they would, and you know this, you've seen the, the pictures, they would place the crossbeam that you were going to be nailed to. So the, the, the piece of wood that you're going to be nailed to, you've got to carry through the streets, and people would line the streets and throw stuff at you and jeer at you and snide at you and make all these kind of comments about you so you could have, like, one last walk of humiliation and shame before you are brutally and grotesquely killed. I mean, it was just it was utter humiliation. And the Romans would do this publicly, so that if you're over there going, "I don't really like Rome, maybe I could oh, that's what's going to happen to me. I think I won't do that. If you were crucified and you had an estate, you forfeited everything that you had. It not only killed you, but it would impoverish your family because they would take everything that you had. You didn't pass anything on. You weren't buried. Right? To not be buried, especially in ancient history, was just a sign of, of, of just one more utter contempt. Which, on a side note, is really interesting uh, that the disciples were given Christ's body to bury. I'll let you ponder that one later. And so this is what's going to happen. No one who heard Jesus said this knew a person who survived crucifixion. Right? Y'all ever been around somebody that says, Guys, the other day, you know, I was electrocuted. And you're going, Really? Or I was swimming and I drowned. Really? They didn't know anybody that stood around and goes, You know what? I was I was crucified the other day. Really? It meant death. That is what it meant. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, Look, if you're going to follow me, are you prepared to walk a life where you will be publicly disgraced, where you will be humiliated, and might end up in a brutal death? Sure, sign me up. All right, I mean, that's, that's, that's perhaps one of the worst recruiting speeches of all times, is it not? Don't do what you want. And when you don't do what you want, you follow me, please know that it might lead to your death. Where can I sign? This is exactly what we're told to do. To carry our cross every single day. Now, we do have to come and and, and recognize that for for us today, it is more metaphorical. Because, thankfully, we don't crucify people here. You don't have the threat of crucifixion. Yet at the same time, we must understand that if we follow Christ, that we've got to recognize and accept that we might be humiliated for our faith. We might be jeered at. People might say ugly things about us. And it might lead to our death as a follower of Christ. And we have to accept this and understand this every day single day. Every day. Today, I might be jeered for my faith. Somebody might say something ugly about me for my faith. I might be attacked for my faith. But it's okay, because if I am, I am following Christ who said, follow me. I am doing exactly what He calls me to do. And that word daily, I cannot stress the importance of it because it means we're willing to do it every single day. It demonstrates a lifestyle. went to the doctor the other day, and, and, and she looked at me. She goes, do you exercise? I said, yes. She goes, daily? I said, that wasn't the question. <laughs> right? Why? Why does the doctor want to know that? Because one is, I went outside and I did yard work. I don't count, how many count ex- yard work as exercise? I'm, I'm at that age now where if I go work in the yard, it's exercise. right? You, yeah, I did. What would you do? I, weed, I I mowed the yard. you got push more. No, it's a ride more, but I exercised. <laughs> but if I do that daily, now I'm demonstrating a lifestyle. And that's what Jesus says. A, a, a lifestyle that says, I'm going to follow you, even if it leads to the crowds who are going to make fun, throw stuff, say ugly things about me on my way to my death. Now, soapbox time, and I'll, I'll hop back off in just a second. I'm sure you have heard people say, well, this is the cross I have to bear. I know what people mean by saying that, and it, I hate to say this, it's, it's, it's not correct, okay? I am not minimizing any difficulties anybody has been through. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not a trial. What I'm saying is when you go, well, it's my cross to bear. That is, you are not being faithful to the biblical text. Because what Christ is calling you to do, and when you are able to actually utter those words truthfully and align with God's revealed word, it is so much more powerful because what you are confessing to is my faith is strong enough and I live a lifestyle where I'm following Christ through the cheers and the reviling of people around me who want to persecute me. And yet I'm continuing to carry my cross even if it's going to lead me to where I may die. Because I'm going to rejoice when others utter all kinds of evil against me. I'm going to rejoice as they seek to take my life. It's a much more powerful statement than we give it credit for. Thirdly, the disciples are called to follow Christ. Called to follow Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And the third command makes sense, right? You can't follow Jesus if you haven't been willing to do the other two. You can't follow Jesus if you're not. Decide to live a submissive lifestyle to to daily die to self, and when he says follow me, it is an ongoing action. Right? It, it's it's all the way to the end. It's not something you do now. Stop. You know, pick back up later. Set him aside for this week. Oh, I don't going on this trip. I don't really want Jesus to be with me on this trip, so I'm going to set him aside and I'll, I'll I'll pick him back up in a couple weeks when I and I get back. And that says every day. I'm going to follow Jesus. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Savior who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Will you? Will I? It's a good question to ask yourself every day. Jesus, you're going to lead me today. Am I willing to follow and Jesus, if I'm not, give me the strength and give me the Holy Spirit so that he will give me the power to follow wherever you lead so that I will go. That's wherever you lead. I, I, I sung it. I sung it this morning. That's what Jesus is saying. Follow me. And you go through the scripture and you see how many times that was his simple command. That was, that's what he said, right? They're fishing. Hey, follow me goes up to the rich young ruler hey follow me he goes and he looks at people who are and says to the crowd 5000 follow me a mark of a disciple is that you're willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads even if it is difficult even if it is hard you're willing to follow him and when we come to these verse this this verse and we read this this should destroy any pretext that Christ is calling us to an easy life this should destroy any pretext that Christ is calling us to health wealth and prosperity this destroys any pretext that you know as long as i'm christian everything is going to be good and fine in my life because jesus recruitment speech is just the opposite you to have to deny yourself die to yourself daily to follow me but if you follow me Jesus says, look at what's going to happen. And that's what we see as we end in verse 24. We see the paradox that Jesus promises his disciples. All right, you know what a paradox is? It's a self-contradictory statement. Right? I'm not going, there are a lot of philosophical paradoxes out there. Some are, are, are uh, Zeno's paradoxes are really interesting. He's got a paradox that says uh, uh, motion is just an illusion. You can go look it up. He also has a paradox of why the hare never actually catches the tortoise, which is also interesting. But simpler paradoxes that we would understand would be something like it's the beginning of the end. I don't know, it's the end, you know, or or you got to spend money to make money, right? We understand what is meant there, but the sentence itself is a paradox. Verse 24, Jesus gives us the paradox. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's what he said in verse 23. He says, look, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to live a life that can only be described as a paradox. And the first one is giving up one of the biggest self-words that we love, which is self-preservation. Right? You, you, you've, you've got to give that up. We work so hard to preserve our lives, don't we? From the way we eat to the way we do or do not exercise to going to the doctors, to the vitamins we buy, to... The cosmetic procedures that are available, right? Tell you what, that billboard. There's a billboard on 52, right? I think it's on the left side, kind of near the the recycling place. That says like, you can have this, this abs, and all you gotta do is come to the office for 15 minutes. I'm like, hmm, man, that sounds tempting. Right? What is? It's 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 all self preservation. We work so hard to do it. Even things you don't, you go home this afternoon, you go buckle up and see why. So if you're in a car crash or somebody hits you, you'll be preserved. We do so much to save our lives. Jesus says if you only live a life on this earth, you know, just, just for this earth, for, you know, just for the here and the now, then you're going to die. And it's not just going to be a physical death, but a spiritual death. Because what you're going to do is live your soul. Lose your soul, excuse me. You're going to lose your soul. You will not find salvation in the world. Now, a lot of people are, right? The, all, the world offers salvation. It offers Hey, if you do this and do this and do this, we'll save you. We'll save you from getting old. We'll save you from that disease. These are all the ways that the world says we, 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 can, we can save you. The world, hey, come, just come to me. I'll save you. And a lot of people hear that because people want to be saved. They long for that message. And so they go and people run head on to it. You know what they discover? That the world is not a place of salvation, but the world is a soul-sucking, soul-destroying place that offers no promise, no hope beyond right now. What good is it if you gain the world and you lose your soul? There is nothing in the world or the entire world itself that is worth your soul. And so Jesus steps in and says, look, I can give you what you want. I can give you what you long for. I can give you the hope that you so desperately crave. I can provide the salvation that you want. And for this to happen, you give up the world. And you give up its pursuits. And you give up yourself. And you abandon your life For me. And when you do that, I will reward you with unending life in glory. But the way to that life passes through death. And there's the paradox. For us to live as disciples, for us to live is to die to self, for us to live is to die as we carry our cross for us to live is to die as we follow Jesus in obedience because wherever he leads I'll go and by those marks and that life the world will know that you belong to him the Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown North Carolina want to learn more visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.